Our reading is from Luke 2, 1 through 20. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census, census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this, by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go and see this thing that the Lord has told us that has happened, what he has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Now, for all you kids at heart and kids at home, we're going to read a little Christmas story. It's called Mortimer's Christmas Manger. In a big house lived a wee mouse named Mortimer. He dwelled in a dark hole under the stairs. Nobody ever noticed little Mortimer, and Mortimer liked it that way. But he didn't like his hole. Too cold, too cramped, too creepy, squeaked Mortimer. Each day, he snuck out and crept about, looking for crumbs and tidbits. One day, Mortimer spied something new. What he spied was wonderful. He saw a huge tree 
covered with twinkling lights. Nestled on top was a bright, shining star. But something even better than the tree itself sat next to it on a table. Mortimer sighed with delight. A house just my size. But the house was so high, and Mortimer was so low. I'll climb up the tree, said Mortimer. It made a perfect ladder for a mouse. Up, 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 Mortimer climbed. Down, 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 the ornaments crashed. Finally, he reached the table. Perfect, said Mortimer. Not cold, not cramped, not creepy. Cozy. But who are you? Mortimer had never seen people his size, people so small. He'd never seen such strange animals either. Tap, 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 Mortimer knocked, but no one answered. Tap, tap, tap. No one moved an inch. I see, Mortimer squeaked. You aren't real. You're statues. And so Mortimer lugged and tugged, and one by one, he dragged the statues out. When he had reached the smallest statue, he saw it was a baby. A baby in a wooden bed, just his size. There's no room for you here, Mortimer said. Out you go. Then into bed crawled Mortimer. He fell fast asleep in the soft, warm hay. The next day, as Mortimer crept about, he found good things to eat. Cookie crumbs, fruitcake morsels, and spicy peppermint candy. But when Mortimer scampered up to his new home, the statues were set up again. No, 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 squeaked Mortimer. This won't do. There's no room for me. And so he lugged and he tugged until all the statues were out. And stay out, said Mortimer. Then into bed he crawled and fell fast asleep in the soft, warm hay. And each day Mortimer scurried about, but the statues were set up again. And Mortimer always lugged and tugged them back out until one day Mortimer set out and saw big people gathered around the tree. He couldn't go out there, so he hid among the statues. A man started talking. Mortimer listened, and what he heard was wonderful. Since it is Christmas Eve, I shall tell the Christmas story, said the man. A long time ago, in a little town called Bethlehem, Mortimer heard about people named Joseph and Mary 
and a bright shining star. He heard about shepherds watching their flocks by night and traveling wise men. The man continued, and there was no room for them in the inn. Then Mortimer heard about a baby, a baby who was born in a stable and had no real bed, but slept in a wooden manger, a baby born to save the world. And his name shall be called Jesus, said the man. Mortimer looked at the bright shining star on the tree. He looked at his new home and his new bed. He looked at the statues. Last of all, he looked at the baby. I see, sighed Mortimer. You aren't just any statue. You are a statue of Jesus. Mortimer sniffled. Mortimer snuffled. A tear rolled down his old cheek. There was no room for you in the inn, but I know where there's a room, he said. And so, Mortimer tugged, and Mortimer lugged, and soon he dragged all the statues back to where they belonged. Last of all, he laid the baby in the manger. This belongs to you, he said. Now you look warm and cozy and comfortable. There was no place for Mortimer to go except back to the cold, cramped, creepy hole. And as he scuttled down the tree, he said a prayer. Jesus, you were born to save the world. Perhaps you could also bring me a home? And then Mortimer spied something, something new, something wonderful. He sighed with delight. A house just my size. And there were no statues in sight. So Mortimer moved right in to the gingerbread house. Thank you, Jesus, he said. You've made room for me, too. This is Advent, which on the Christian calendar is a period of preparation before the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas. It's also a time of preparation where we remember the second coming of Jesus, that he's coming again. Did you ever have an advent calendar when you were a kid? You know, it's supposed to help you count the days until Christmas. But in my little mind, if I opened every little door, five or ten a day, Christmas would come sooner. Only it didn't. It's not the way it works. And waiting when you're a kid for Christmas to come is so hard. It's tough. But the wait cannot be rushed. It takes the time that it takes. We have to go through each and every day. One little door a day. One more door the next day. Not five or ten. Rats! Because there are times we want to rush it. We're done with waiting. It's hard. We want to get to the next thing, to the good stuff. But that's not how it works. So we want to look at how do we wait well? How do we do it? And I want to look at some of the 
tonal narratives we've looked at over this whole time of Advent, not just today's reading. Because the promised Messiah had many, many prophecies over thousands upon thousands of years. The weight from the promise made in the garden was thousands of years. It was a long, long, long wait. And then God was giving his people, the Israelites, prophecies, talking to them as a nation. He also talked to some of them as individuals. And then suddenly you get this silence. When the Old Testament before the New Testament starts of about 400 years, where God will speak to an individual here and there, but not about the nation of Israel itself. So they're waiting. Why is God being quiet? Why isn't he speaking? What's going on? Has he forgotten us? Does he not like us? Are we being punished? All kinds of questions can go through your head when you're waiting. But we see here that when God finally broke that silence, it was a message for the nation of Israel, as well as Zechariah, a priest, as well. And Zechariah and his wife were beyond the time of having children, yet he was still praying. And this angel, when he went in and met with Zechariah in the temple, said, God has heard your prayer. Zechariah didn't believe him. So God's silence then went on to Zechariah until his son was born. Nine plus months where he couldn't talk. He couldn't speak. He could write his name on the, the slate. He had a slate, and he could write things. And when the discussion came was, what are you going to name him? And Zechariah's wife said, his name will be John. And everyone was outraged. None of your relatives have been named John. Huh. So they went to Zechariah, and he wrote on the slate, his name is John. And when that happened, his silence was broken. Just like God's was. His silence was suddenly broken. And he talked about who this baby was going to be. He would pave the way for the Messiah, for his cousin, Jesus. And during those nine months where Zechariah had to be silent, God sent another angel, this one, to a young woman named Mary, engaged to a carpenter named Joseph. And a Jewish engagement lasted an entire year. And during that year, they did things to get ready for the wedding and for the marriage and prepared so Mary was going about her regular, everyday life. When out of the blue, an angel showed up. Kind of scary, kind of disturbing. And she's pondering, what kind of greeting is this? Because he gave her this weird greeting. You who are a favorite of the Lord, and it's kind of like, yeah, right, uh-huh. You're not talking to me, are you? So she's thinking about it, and he tells her she's going to have a child. Right, I'm engaged, I'm going to have a kid, huh? That's not in my plans, that's not the way this thing works. So she thought about it, and then had to tell Joseph, guess what, I'm going to have a baby. Yeah, I don't think she was all that excited about having to tell him, because how do you tell him, you're going to have a kid, but yeah, you're not the dad, sorry. This angel came, I need to think, this guy's going to think I'm nuts. He's not going to think I am who I say I am, 
who he's known me to be. How awkward, how difficult. And how is he going to respond? What was he going to do? He could break the engagement off by divorcing her. Had to be a nerve-wracking wait. That was not a fun wait for what is he going to do after she told him. And the penalty for having a child out of wedlock in those days in Israel was the death penalty. So she would have been thinking all kinds of thoughts and wondering what's going to happen. Because, yeah, an angel came, an angel said she was going to have this child. But how is this going to happen? How is this going to work? Was her fiancé going to walk away? Was he going to divorce her? Was she going to have to raise the child alone? Was he going to try and have her killed with the death penalty because of it? What? Well, Joseph decides he's going to just quietly divorce her, not let everybody know, keep it quiet instead, and just, we'll divorce and not worry about it. But then he had a dream where an angel told him, this is God's child. This is not another man's child. This is God's child. You stick with this. Then comes their time of waiting for nine months for the child of God to be born. You wonder, what are they thinking? What is this child going to look like? What is it going to be like? Is it going to look like you? What does God look like? Is he going to look like God? What would that look like? Nobody had ever seen the face of God. This was going to be quite something. So this unexpectedness that had happened, they settle down, they get ready for that, and then comes yet another wrench in their plans, another unexpected happening, when the governor decides it's time for a census. Oh, boy. A census, that means they have to go back to their tribal home, which for Joseph meant an 80-mile trip to Bethlehem. That's a long way. That means Mary, who would have to go with him because they were engaged, would have to go. She wouldn't have her family. She wouldn't have her friends. She wouldn't have her mom there to be with her during this time. And she was getting ready to have a child. She had to trust God and had to deal with things and get prepared. We saw first that one way to wait is to pray. Zechariah and his wife wanted a child. They prayed. Then we saw Mary pondering. What is this? And now we have preparation because they're going on a long trip. On foot and or with a donkey, it's still a long journey. So they had to prepare, not just for the baby to come, you know, the salt to clean it with and cloth to wipe it with and strips of cloth to swaddle it with. And they had to get food. They had to have things to sleep on at night on the ground. And they had to get food ready. There was a lot to do. So when we're waiting, we can prepare for what's coming next. We can ponder what God's up to and focus on him. We can pray. All kinds of things that we can do. And yet it's still going to be hard sometimes because you can imagine Mary going along with the aching back, swollen ankles, wondering, are we there yet? How much longer do we have to go? It's not always fun in that time of waiting. 
but you have to keep your focus on God and what he wants. What is he doing? What is he about to? Be present in the moment, not just, well, I can't wait until that, so I'm going to focus on that. Yes, you focus and prepare, but you also have to be present in the moment or you lose what's happening around you. You don't notice people that need you to pray for them, people that you can love and care for and help, and help them to prepare for what they have next. Ask them for help if you need it. So they had to prepare and get ready. And from the phrasing in the Greek about the time they were in there in Bethlehem, they were there for a while before she had the child. Because it would take time to find the census office, get registered, sign up, do all the red tape. Yeah, they had red tape in those days too. And get counted and all of that before. And this was for taxes. Oh boy, yeah, just what you want to do. Let's go 80 miles on foot and by donkey to get them so they can tax us. Yeah. But it fulfilled prophecy. That's the cool thing, is God had a plan. All of Scripture was telling them from Micah that in Bethlehem is where his child would be born. That's where the Messiah would come. And look what happens. Huh. All of a sudden, the woman who's carrying his child has to show up in Bethlehem. Go figure. Nothing can thwart God. God will work all things together, just like he said. How cool is that? But they had trouble finding a place to stay. You figure, this little village is swarmed. There's people everywhere doing exactly what they are, trying to find a place to stay, get some food set up, get registered, all of the stuff they had to do. There was nowhere available. Now, an inn or a place to stay during those days could be as simple as a flat area where there was a well. Yeah, pretty basic. You provide your own food, you provide your own shelter if you can, you provide everything yourself. It's just a piece of land you could stay on and there was water. Not a great place to have a baby. There were other options though, because some of these would get fancier. They'd be walled around so the wild animals wouldn't get you at night. You didn't have to set guards. And others would even have places partitioned off so you could have a little bit of privacy as a family. And there would also be what we would call today Airbnbs almost, where people would let, rent out their house or an upper room or a spare room. We see none of that was available. Nothing was available for them. And you wonder, God, what are you up to? You had how many thousands of years to prepare this. You get them to the place they're supposed to be, and whoops, nowhere to stay. You're thinking, God, come on, you did this. What's going on? It's all part of his plan, as we will see, which is amazing, because they find a shelter, a stable, a manger. It could have been just a lean-to, could have been in somebody's lower house where the animals were kept, or it could have been a cave. But it was somewhere a little more private, so she didn't have to have the baby outside, which would not have been good. And it was a place where you know, cattle and sheep and other animals were kept safe from the elements. They were fed and kept warm. 
a place where a lamb, say, the lamb of God would be born? God of human flesh was born and then put in the feeding trough. He was swaddled like a normal baby and set there. It was God's plan. The weight of all weights had finally ended. The Messiah had come. He was all set. He was all safe, albeit in a weird place. And then that was followed by another 30 years before he would start his miracles. And then another wait until he rose again to show that he was the Son of God, that he died for our sins. So lots of life is waiting, and lots of life happens while we wait. And we can ponder, we can pray, we can prepare, we can be present in the moment. Now, a few miles away from where the Son of God was born, there were some shepherds. And like Mary and Joseph, they were just watching their sheep, doing what they were supposed to be doing, you know, guarding the sheep from lions and wolves and bears. Oh, my. Waiting until morning when they could get some sleep and get some rest. So it's nighttime, and it would be pitch black, except for the moon and thousands and millions and stars and galaxies that they could see because there weren't any lights like we have today. And then all of a sudden... They're blinded out of nowhere. They're totally blinded. You know how on a dark night somebody shines a flashlight in your eyes and you can't see for a while? It was like that. And when they could see again, it really wasn't any better because what they saw terrified them. The light that burst around them was from an angel of God. Thankfully, The angel gave them the familiar words they knew from the Old Testament scriptures. Do not be afraid. I don't know if that would help or not, but they would know it was an angel of God saying, do not be afraid. And then he shared the good news that the long-awaited one, the promised one, the savior of the world, the Messiah had come. And the good news was for them, normal people, everyday, ordinary people, Not just the rich, not just the mighty, and even more, he wasn't even born in a castle or a palace or anywhere big and flashy. The angels told them all of the things that they should look for and said, good news you'll find is a baby swaddled in strips of cloth in a feeding trough. God's plan. He had it all along. The angel was joined by the hosts of heaven, and they all praised God, and then disappeared. Poof. All you can think is, wow. Just wow. And can you imagine the shepherds looking at each other? Did you see what I see? That, that, that really did happen, right? Uh-huh. My wife would kill me if I walked in with a bunch of smelly guys right after she'd had a baby. Yeah, so would mine. Doesn't really seem like it's an okay thing to do, does it? 
But the angel told us to do it, so I guess we should. Well, we kind of have directions. All right, let's go. So off they go. They didn't have to wait, which is really nice. And once their decision was made, they hurried to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And then they came and found Jesus in the feeding trough, just as the angel had told them. And they hung around, telling everyone what had happened, how they showed up, and why, and what the angel had said about that baby. And then they went back to their flocks. They praised God and told others about him. They prattled. I'm looking for P words today, so we have prattled. They went through the rest of their lives telling this amazing story to everybody who would listen. Everyone who would hear it. That God's silence had been broken. God's wait was over. He would become the Messiah, the waited one. And people had waited through praying, through pondering, through praising, by being present in the moment, and by prattling. We can do the same thing. You might want to try it this week. Something you haven't done normally or don't normally do is wait as you wait. Whether it's to pray for someone who's you see nearby that might need prayer. Someone who's, like this week I had, annoyed in front of you at the grocery store because the person in front of them had multiple orders and they were working their way through it. And the woman was so disgusted. My focus was on the one who was disgusted, not on the one ahead of her, or I would have thought to help because she ran out of money before her orders were done. And it wasn't until later it was like, ah, I could have helped with that. She wouldn't have had to put things back. So it's that ponder it, pray about it, prepare whatever it is God has put on your heart this week. Try it. See what he has to say. God has a plan. Even if it looks crazy, like put your kid in a feeding trough, there's a reason. God has it all together. He knows what he's doing. And during this Advent season, that's what we've been waiting. We've been waiting to celebrate today that Jesus, the Savior, came. It's a period of preparation. 